And we're going to be in the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter number eight is where we're going to be today. And we've been in a study the last several weeks that we're calling Built to be Brave. And we're talking about spiritual courage and how we can stand firm in the truth of God's word and what it is that we believe. And today we're going to be in Joshua chapter eight. And if you don't have a Bible, there should be a Bible in the seat back in front of you. And most of the verses will be on the screen as well. But I want to encourage you to have a Bible ready and open today. Joshua chapter 8, and last week we studied chapter 7 and the defeat at Ai, and today we're going to look at chapter number 8 and see what God has for us today. Chapter 8, verse number 1, the Bible says this, and the Lord said unto Joshua, fear not, everybody turn to your neighbor and say, fear not, fear not, neither be thou dismayed, take all the people of war with thee, and arise, and go up to Ai, see I have given into thy hand the king of Ai and his people and his city and his land. And thou shalt do to Ai. Now, I told this to the first service, but I better make sure everybody's on the same page. Ai is not artificial intelligence. This was an ancient city in the promised land. Okay, I just wanted to make sure everybody was following. Everybody doing okay this morning? Yeah. Now shalt do to Ai and her king, as thou didst unto Jericho and her king. Only the spoil thereof and the cattle thereof shall ye take for a prey unto yourselves. Lay thee an ambush for the city behind it. And Joshua rose and all the people of war to go up against Ai. And Joshua chose out 30,000 men of valor and sent them away by night. And he commanded them, saying, Behold, you shall lie in wait against the city, even behind the city. Go not very far from the city, but be ye all ready. Everybody say ready. ready. I want to encourage you that spiritual victory is always preceded by spiritual preparation that we have to be ready to stand guard. He says, be ready. And I and all the people that are with me will approach unto the city, and it shall come to pass that when they come out against us, as at the first, that we will flee before them, and they will come out after us till we have drawn them from the city, for they will say they flee before us, as at the first time. Therefore, we will flee before them. And so he's saying, this is how we're going to attack them. We're going to pretend like we are scared and we're going to run away. And they're going to think, man, they're running away just like last time. But we're going to be ready for it. Verse number seven. Then you shall rise up from the ambush and seize upon the city. For the Lord your God will deliver it into your hand. And it shall be when you have taken the city that you shall set the city on fire. According to the commandment of the Lord shall you do. See, I have commanded you. And we'll pause right there this morning. And for a few minutes today, I'd like to speak to this subject, course correction, course correction. Let's have a word of prayer together this morning. Father, thank you so much for this day that you've given us. God, thank you for the opportunity to come together and to worship you and to lift high your name. God, thank you that we can sing this morning uh, about the living God. And Lord, thank you that you have provided for us and given to us your word that we can look to. And Lord, I pray that this morning we would read your word and study your word and that we would seek to apply these principles to our lives. God, I pray that we would not be distracted this morning, but that we would have a holy focus on what it is that you have for us today. Lord, we know that today in the room there are people from all different walks of life and different backgrounds and different seasons. God, you know those that are hurting. God, you know those that are thriving. And so, Lord, I pray that your word would permeate all of these things and that we can grow in our time together today. And we love you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, 
Growing up, I remember my dad would take me out golfing on occasion, and when I was younger, my favorite thing to do by far when we would go golfing is drive the golf cart. Uh, anybody with me on that? Like, just driving the golf cart is one of the best things ever when you're young. And so I was driving the golf cart one day, and I was driving the opposite direction of the fairway looking for a ball. And uh, my dad was up further, and I was driving backwards, and of course I was going as fast as I possibly could, driving on the reverse side of the fairway. And I was going up a hill, and what I didn't know going in the reverse direction on the fairway was that hill uh, on the other side of that was actually a sand trap. It was a bunker. And I was driving as fast as I could, and I went and I launched off of that hill, and uh, all four tires were in the air, and I landed and smacked down into that sand trap. And uh, thankfully, nothing was too broken. And the best part about that was I looked and my dad didn't see it, okay? And so everything was fine. And I just turned around and acted like everything was okay. And uh, if you've ever played golf, on occasion, there is a sign that says cart path only. Have you ever seen that sign before? There's a sign that says cart path only. And uh, some of you are like, I did not care about golf at all. Let's get back to the Bible. And, uh, and uh, this sign that says cart path only, it's talking about how you can't go onto the fairway. They might be that you can't go out onto the grass. They might be fixing the grass or reseeding it. And so they'll say, stay on the cart path only. You can't go out onto the grass. And one day we were playing and, and uh, we kind of forgot about that rule. And we went out onto the fairway and our golf cart just lost all power. It just shut down. And the reason why was because they had this little GPS tracker and they could tell when we were out in the fairway. And so when we went out there, we lost all power. We had to get out of the golf cart and we had to push it all the way back onto the path. Once we got back onto the path, then uh, the power was restored to the golf cart. And I thought about that and I thought so often in life, the reason that we are not experiencing the power of God is because we have drifted and deviated from the path of God. And so often we are wondering why we're not attaining spiritual victory, but it's because we are not on the course that God has for us. And we are not in the place and the path that God has intended uh, for us to be on. And we come to Joshua chapter 8, and this is exactly what has happened to Joshua and the children of Israel. They were deviating from God's path. They found themselves in sin. If you remember last week, Achan stole from Jericho, and then they didn't consult God before they went to battle. And so because of this, they lost the lives of 36 men in battle. There was sin in the camp. And they they needed to get that right before they could get back on track again. But I'm thankful today that we worship the God of second chances. And I'm thankful today that when we deviate from God's path, he will always allow us to get back on course. And he wants us to learn to course uh, correct. Uh, the Bible uh, talks about this often. One of my favorite examples of this is the book of Jonah. How many of you remember the story of Jonah? The verse, verse uh, the very first verse of uh, chapter one of Jonah says this, and the word of the Lord came to Jonah. And then Jonah did not want to obey and submit to that word, and so he fled from Nineveh and did not follow through. But then in chapter three, we read this verse, chapter three, verse number one, it says, and the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, the second time, aren't you thankful that God said to Jonah, hey, even though you disregarded my word the first time, in my love and in my grace and in my sovereignty, I'm going to give you a second chance. Aren't you thankful today that when we deviate from God's path, he says, I still love you, I still have a plan for you, and you can correct course and get back on track. Uh, in the 1840s, there was a British, British uh, preacher, his name was F.W. Robertson, he said this, life, like war, is a series of mistakes. And he is not the best Christian nor the best general who makes the fewest false steps. Poor mediocrity may secure that. If you never want to make any mistakes in life, then just never attempt to do anything and you'll be just fine. He says poor mediocrity can accomplish uh, just that. But he is the best who wins the most splendid victories by the retrieval of mistakes. Forget mistakes, organize victory out of mistakes. 
And that's exactly what's taking place in Joshua chapter 8. They had just failed. They had just made a large mistake. But now they're going to organize a victory by the power of God and through the sovereignty of God. They're going to organize a victory for the glory of God. Which brings us to the question today. I wonder, in which area of your life would God have you course correct? I wonder, is there an area of your life that you need to get back on the path that God has for you? Maybe you've been deviating from God's path. Maybe you've been drifting in your marriage. Maybe you have been drifting into a sin. Uh, Maybe your joy has been drifting. Maybe you've been uh, on the right path before and reading God's word and spending time in prayer, but you've been drifting, you've been uh, deviating. I wonder today, in what area of your life would God have you correct Uh, course. And and the Bible talks about this often, that we have a chance to uh, come back to him. In fact, Psalm 37 verse 23 says this, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he delights in his way. By the way, God's plan for your life is the best plan for your life. That when you're walking according to his ways, that you will have joy, that there will be delight. Uh, He delights in his way. Watch this. Though he fall. See, the reality is today, all of us are going to fall short. We're all going to make mistakes. We're all going to drift. We're all going to deviate. Uh, We're all going to fall short of the glory of God. But though he fall, he shall not utterly be cast down. For the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. I'm so thankful today that God provides grace when we fall. And he's there to pick us back up. And so today, as we look to Joshua chapter 8, and we see this course correction, we see Joshua and the children of Israel getting back on track. I believe what we learn is four principles about our God. And if we learn these four principles about our God, it'll help us uh, steer in the right direction and correct course. Uh, If you're ready today, would you say amen? Amen. let's Let's look at these four principles. Number one is this. Our God offers new beginnings. You need to know and be encouraged today that our God offers new beginnings. Uh, Alexander White, he was a Scottish theologian. He said this, the victorious Christian life is a series of new beginnings, of learning to get back up again, of learning to start fresh again. Now we're going to see it beginning in our text in verse number eight. And I would encourage you to keep your Bible open uh, today and and, uh, look to these verses uh, with me this morning. Verse number one of chapter eight says this, and the Lord said unto Joshua, Fear not, neither be thou dismayed. Take all the people of war with thee, and arise and go up to Ai. See, I have given into thy hand the king of Ai and his people and his city and his land. God says, you know what? You failed, but I'm going to give you an opportunity to begin again. And he gives them this great encouragement that I'm going to give you the victory. And he says right off the bat in verse number one, fear not and do not be discouraged. You know two major roadblocks for course correction? Fear and discouragement. So often the reason we don't move forward is because we are afraid or we are discouraged. And and so God comes to Joshua and he says, fear not and do not be discouraged. By the way, uh, where did this encouragement come from? If you read verse number one, where did the encouragement come from to fear not and to uh, do not be dismayed? It came from the Lord. It came from the word of the Lord. Can I tell you today, when you are searching for encouragement, look to the word of God. Uh, Look to God's word and you will find hope and encouragement. The Bible says this in Psalm 119, verse 28. My soul melteth for heaviness. The psalmist says, man, I'm carrying a burden no one else knows about. I'm exhausted. There are things that I'm going through that are just weighing me down. My soul melts for heaviness. Strengthen thou me according to thy word. So when we are heavy, when we're burdened, we can find strength and encouragement from the word of the Lord. We need to get back to God's word and see what he has to say. And so he tells Joshua, fear not, do not be dismayed. Fear not, do not be dismayed. You know, this is not the first time that Joshua heard this. If you've been here throughout this series, this is now, in fact, the third time that Joshua has heard this instruction. 
fear not, do not be discouraged. In chapter one of Joshua, Moses said it back in the book of Deuteronomy, fear not, do not be discouraged. This is the third time that Joshua heard this same sermon. Has someone ever told you a story and they were telling you a story and you already heard it and you kind of had to act interested the whole time through it? You're like, wow, okay. Oh, wow. You don't say. And uh, Joshua here is, is receiving this encouragement for now the third time. The question that I have is why the repetition? And I think the reality is because often there's a disconnect between what we know intellectually and what we apply functionally. Sometimes we already know the answer. The struggle is applying that answer. And that's why Peter said this in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 12, Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things. He says, I'm not going to stop reminding you of certain scriptures. Sometimes we can be in church for a long time. It's like, oh, Joshua chapter 8, I've, I've, I've already heard this one before. 2 Peter 1, I've heard this before. Peter says, I'm going to keep on reminding you of these things. Why? Though you know them, even though you already know them, and be established in the present truth. See, sometimes what we need is not some new experience or some new revelation from God. Sometimes what we need the most is to be reminded of that which we already know. And then to put it into practice. And so Joshua needed this encouragement and instruction again. Hey, Joshua, I know that you were courageous in Jericho. But now that you've taken a step back and you've lost a little bit of courage after the loss at Ai. Now you need to get back up again and move forward in confidence and courage in the word of the Lord. The Bible says in Proverbs 28 verse number 1. The wicked flees when no man pursueth. So, so the wicked man is on the run when no one's even chasing them. Living life in fear and insecurity. Uh, the wicked flee when no man pursueth, but the righteous, they are bold as a lion. Amen. See, now that, now that Joshua and the children of Israel had taken care of the sin that was in the camp, now that there was sanctification, that cleansing that took place in chapter 7 led to the courage that took place in chapter 8. Do you see the progression? Spiritual cleansing always leads to spiritual courage. And so now there was this courage that they could move forward. But not only does he give them encouragement, he also gives them exhortation. Notice it in verse number one. If you're still with me today, would you say amen? amen. And the Lord said unto Joshua, fear not, neither be thou dismayed. Take all the people of war with thee. Now, why did he tell him, take all the people of war with you? Because if you were here last week, if you remember chapter 7, when they surveyed the small city of Ai, they thought, hey, we don't need to take everybody with us. We can just take 2,000 people, 2,000 soldiers. We will procure the victory, no problem. We don't need to bring everybody with us. And now God says to Joshua, this time around, you need to take everyone with you. What was he saying? You need to use all the resources that I have provided for you. You know, God has given us everything that we need to procure the victory in our Christian lives. The struggle is often we are not taking advantage of all the resources that God us. Uh, sometimes we think, man, I got this. I can handle this. Just 2,000 soldiers. I can get this on my own. But what we need to do is to wholly and completely rely on the Lord. That's why the Bible says in 2 Peter 1, 3, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things. He's given unto us all things, everything that pertain unto life and godliness, that God has given us everything that we need to live a victorious Christian life. The only question is, are you taking advantage of all the resources that God has given you, that God has provided for us, pastors and friendships and leaders and his word and the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit? He has provided the local church and spiritual community. God has given us all the resources that we need to walk in victory, but often we are not taking advantage of everything that God has given us, and then we wonder why we're walking in defeat. And so God tells Joshua, this time around, take all the resources with you. Uh, take all of the soldiers so that you can get the victory. Notice verse number two. It says this in chapter eight. And thou shalt do to Ai and her king as thou didst unto Jericho and her king. 
Only the spoil thereof and the cattle thereof shall you take for a prey unto yourselves. Now, when I read that little phrase, you know who I think about? Achan. Achan is the one that stole the goods from Jericho and wanted those material possessions. And he ended up losing his life for it. He ended up causing great devastation for his family. But if he would have just waited until the next battle of Ai, he could have received everything that his heart desired. Can I encourage you today that good things come to those that wait upon the Lord? So often we are trying to get out ahead of God and we want what we want now. But God says, wait on my timing. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And then all of these things will be added unto you. If Achan would have just waited, he would have had what his heart desired. Psalm 27 verse 14, wait on the Lord. Be of good courage and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. And so our God offers new beginnings. Aren't you thankful for that? Here's the second thought today. Our God is not confined to our methods. Now, this is a struggle for some of us because some of us really like our methods. Some of us really like our preferences and our opinions and our ideas. But don't put God in a box because our God is not confined to our methods. I want you to see it uh, starting in verse number two. At the end of verse number two, it says this, the very last phrase, lay thee an ambush for the people, for the city behind it. He says, this time around, we're actually going to set up an ambush. Now, if you remember chapter six, or you're familiar with the walls of Jericho, this was a different strategy than Joshua chapter six. If you remember how they got the victory in Jericho was they walked around the walls uh, one time for six days. On the seventh day, they walked around seven times. They shouted, they blew the trumpets, and the walls came tumbling down. That's how they procured the victory. Now, they're going to set up an ambush. This was an entirely different strategy, uh, that, that God was working in a new way. I'm thankful that uh, God can work in whatever way he wants to work in, that we can't put him in a box. Uh, did, did you notice that in the New Testament, that Jesus would often heal people in a variety of unique ways? That Jesus rarely healed someone the exact same way. Sometimes he would just speak the word and they would be healed. Sometimes uh, there was a lady that touched the hem of his garment with the issue of blood, and she was healed. Uh, sometimes Jesus would touch someone, lay his hand on someone, and they would be healed. Uh, other time, another time, Jesus uh, spat in the dirt, and he made that a uh, little bit of mud, and he put, put that mud on the person's eyes, and he was able to see. He, he often used a different method. Why? Because he did not intend for us to trust in the method. He intended for us to trust in him. Can you imagine if the disciples just started to trust in the method? Wow, did you see what Jesus did when he, when he spit in the dirt and he made some mud? Man, maybe we need to start a new ministry. Let's start the spit in the dirt ministry. And who wants to lead that up? Who, who wants to volunteer? You know, uh, the idea was not to trust in the method. The idea was to trust in Jesus and to take him at his word. Uh, so often we are confined to the method of our choosing. And this is a struggle for us because I like it when it's done this way. And I like this style. And I like this approach. And hey, that all might be good and fine. We can have our opinions. We can have our preferences. But here's the main idea. The Bible says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse number 7. But we have this uh, treasure in earthen vessels that, watch this, the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. And so here's the idea. It's not about our ideas. It's not about our methods. It's not about our style. It's not about our approach. But it is all about the Lord Jesus Christ and his power and his love and his grace and his mercy and his sovereignty and his purpose for our lives. The excellency of the power of God is not about us. 
It's all about him. And so our God is not confined to our methods. He, he can choose to give us spiritual victory in any way that he wants to deliver it. And so uh, that's exactly what they do. So Joshua uh, explains to them the instruction. Okay, this is what we're going to do. We're going to set up an ambush. This is going to be a, 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 an unfamiliar way of doing things. In fact, uh, just culturally in ancient warfare, they rarely had a night covert operation like this. Very rarely was battle fought in the night. And so this was something that was unfamiliar. It was clunky and it was brand new. It was a brand new method, but our God is not confined to our methods. Now this leads us to our third thought. Number three, our God requires the submission of his people. Something that you need to know about our God is he expects us to submit to his plan. Now notice verse number 11. And so it says that they went and they, uh, they followed through. Joshua tells them the plan. He says, we're going to go. We're going to set up this ambush. We're going to pretend like we're running away. And then when they start to chase us, we're going to come from behind and we're going to destroy the city. Now, I also think it's important to note, before we get to verse 11, I think it's important to note that this was not the slaughtering of innocent people. Sometimes we think when we read the book of Joshua, man, they're just going and killing everybody. Uh, this was not the slaughtering of innocent people. This was the judgment of God upon an evil society that had long rejected his grace and his mercy. This was an evil, wicked society that was doing terrible, grotesque things like child sacrifice. This was a society that ignored God's revelation, that ignored God's plan. And so this was the judgment of God on an evil society. And so Joshua says, hey, we're going to go and, uh, and uh, we're going to uh, get the victory over Ai. And watch how the people respond in verse number 11 to this plan. And all the people, even the people of war that were with him, went up. Here's the idea. They said, Okay. They, they didn't say, I think we should walk around the walls of Ai. That worked really well last time. They said, okay. They went up, verse 11. They went up and they drew nigh and came before the city and pitched on the north side of Ai. Now there was a valley between them and Ai. And he took about 5,000 men, uh, set them to lie ambush between Bethel and Ai on the west side of the city. And when they had set the people, even all the host that was on the north of the city and the liars in wait of the west of the city, watch this, Joshua went that night into the midst of the valley. I love this picture because here's Joshua saying, all right, this is what we're going to do. Here's how we're going to set up the attack and the ambush. But I want you to know I'm going with you into battle. He says, I'm going with you into the midst of the valley. This is a good picture of leadership. A good leader doesn't just say, hey, do this and go there. A good leader says, hey, I'm going with you. We're in this together. But I believe more than just a picture of leadership, there is a spiritual principle as well. Because I'm thankful that our Joshua, that our Yeshua, Jesus Christ, says, hey, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And lo, I am with you always. I'm so thankful that he not only gives us his power to change the world, but aren't you thankful he gives us his presence to change the world? He says, I'm going to be with you every step of the way. Jesus Christ will never leave us. He will never forsake us. I'm thankful that our God is a very present help in the day of adversity, in the day of trouble, that he is with us each and every step of the way. And sometimes we feel lonely. We feel like, man, I can't do this. But we have to remember the presence of God is with us. And so uh, they, they submit to uh, the plan. And they say, okay, we're going to do this. I love what Matthew Henry said about this passage. He's a commentator. He talks about Joshua and he said this, Joshua conquered by yielding as if he had himself had been conquered. So our Lord Jesus, when he bowed his head and gave up the ghost, seemed as if death triumphed over him and as if he and all his interests had been routed and ruined. But in his resurrection, he rallied again and gave the powers of darkness a total defeat. He broke the serpent's head by suffering him to bruise his heel. And I love this phrase that Matthew Henry describes Joshua as he was able to conquer by he himself being conquered. 
This is how spiritual victory is possible. See, in our culture today, submission is a sign of weakness. You watch MMA, you watch fighting, and if someone taps out, oh, they lost the battle. But see, spiritual victory comes by way of submission. When we say, you know, it's not about my will. It's not about uh, what I can do. I'm going to surrender. I'm going to yield myself over to the Lord. I'm going to submit. That's when victory becomes possible. Now, notice verse number 18. And the Lord said unto Joshua. So they start the battle. Uh, If you read verses 14 through 17, the plan gets set in motion. Verse 18, and the Lord said unto Joshua, stretch out the spear that is in thine hand toward Ai, for I will give it into thine hand. And Joshua stretched out the spear that he had in his hand toward the city. And uh, uh, this morning I brought with me, Rakia has been holding it. Uh, I brought a spear with me today. This is the kind of spear that you get when you ask the interns to make you a spear on Sunday morning. Okay, so, so we have a spear today. And uh, God tells Joshua, I want you to lift up that spear and hold the spear as a symbol of victory, as a symbol of submission uh, to my word. And so Joshua, he gets that spear and he holds it up. If you remember, Moses did something similar when Moses held up his rod against the battle against the Amalekites. And as long as he was holding up his rod, uh, the Israelites were able to get the victory. And so God tells Joshua, hold up the spear. So Joshua's holding it up. And the children of Israel could see that spear as a symbol of victory. He was holding it up. But notice verse number 26. Everybody with me? Everybody else with me? Verse 26. For Joshua drew not his hand back, wherewith he stretched out the spear, until he had utterly destroyed all the inhabitants of Ai. Here it is. Joshua did not let the spear down until they received the victory. I don't know how long it took. I don't know how long the battle took, but I know this. Joshua held the spear up, and he did not let it down. Here's what I believe. The devil wants nothing more than for you to let your spear down. In your life, he wants nothing more than for you to say, I have been battling against my kids for so long, and I have been trying to raise them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, but my patience is growing dim, and I don't know if I can do it. And he wants us to let our spear down. The devil wants us to let our spear down in our marriage. He wants us to let our spear down when it comes to temptation. Man, I've been battling this temptation uh, for weeks and months, and I've been trying to conquer this lust. I've been trying to conquer this anger. I've been trying to conquer this anxiety, but I am discouraged. It's been a long time. I'm not seeing all the results that I want to see, and so we're tempted to put our spear down. But can I encourage someone today? Uh, Let us not grow weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap. If we faint not, keep the spear lifted high. And trust in the Lord to bring about the victory. Joshua said, I'm not going to put the spear down until God gives us the victory. See, if we want spiritual victory, we have to have the commitment that comes with the calling that God has given us. See, some people are excited about the concept of serving the Lord, but they're not excited about the commitment that comes with serving the Lord. And we can have the faith to step out, but do you have the faith to stick it out? To say, you know what, I'm going to keep the spear up until God gives me the victory. Let's give it up for Rakia for holding on to the spear for us. Oh, Rakia broke the tip of the spear. We have one more service today. we got to fix it. Um, It's okay, Rakia. This is a place of grace and forgiveness, and you can course correct for the next service. You'll have another opportunity to begin again. This leads us to our fourth and final thought. You ready for number four today? Number four is this. Our God honors those who honor his word. Our God honors those that honor his word. That is why at Rock Hill, we believe in the power of the preaching of God's word, that we want to honor his word and submit to his word uh, each and every step of the way. Now, something interesting happens here. If you're still with me, would you say amen? Amen. 
Something interesting happens here. It's not what you would expect. We're going to come back to some of these verses, but for right now, let's skip to verse number 30. If you can see verse 30, say amen. amen. Verse 30. Then Joshua built an altar unto the Lord God of Israel in the Mount Ebal. And so Joshua here, he builds an altar. An altar was for a sacrifice. This was a uh, symbol and a sign of worship. And so what we read in verses 30 through 35 was that here Joshua commences a worship service. And it seems almost out of place. They went from the battlefield now to a worship service. Uh, just uh, in the matter of moments, it seems, that they go from the battlefield to a worship service. I, I, I wonder and imagine, what would the soldiers and the children of Israel thought about the timing of this worship service? When they're building an altar and they're making these sacrifices. Like, like Joshua, can we just get a day off? I mean, we have been going around Jericho, and we lost a big battle at Ai, and now we just went again. We finally got the victory. Can we just, like, rest for a little bit? And Joshua says, no, we're going to have a worship service. Why? Because Joshua recognized the importance of prioritizing the worshiping of our God. That whether you are in a busy season or whether you are in a battle season, we're always in a worshiping season. The, the Bible does not say, let us not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, unless you're in a really busy season. Let us not forsake the assembling of ourselves together unless you're really going through a battle. Let us not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but so much the more as you see the day approaching. And so what Joshua does here is even in the midst of the battle, right after the battle, in the midst of this busy season, he says, okay, we have to worship. We have to have this worship service. Why? Because that's exactly what the law and Moses instructed them to do when they entered into the promised land. And so in other words, they had a precedent to have this worship service. It was based on God's word. It was based on, uh, on what Moses had directed them to do. And so uh, this worship service involves a couple of different things that I think are worth noting today. Uh, first, it involves sacrificial offerings. Notice verse number 31. As Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded the children of Israel, as it is written. By the way, that is a good motto and mantra for your life, that every decision that you make is based on a biblical principle, as it is written. Uh, God said it, and so this is going to uh, apply to my life. As it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of whole stones over which no man hath uh, lift up any iron, and they offered thereupon burnt offerings unto the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. And so the first part of this worship service was they sacrificed these offerings. This was done to atone for their sin, for their mistakes, and reestablish their right relationship with God, which I find fascinating. Are you with me today? I find fascinating because long before the children of Israel entered into the promised land, God knew that they would mess up. God knew that they would fall short. He knew that Achan would steal in Jericho. He knew that they would be in need of a new beginning. And so he provides a provision and an opportunity to reestablish their relationship with God through these burnt sacrifices. And I want you to know today that long before you were ever even born, God knew that you would fall short, that God knew that you would make mistakes. And that's exactly why he sent his son Jesus to live a perfectly sinless life, to go to the cross in your place and in my place so that we might experience the forgiveness and the atonement for our sins. Aren't you thankful that he made a way when there was no way? And long before we were ever even born, he provided for us his grace and his mercy that we can put our faith in him and receive it by faith. And, and so here he knew entering into the promised land that they would make these mistakes and he provided this opportunity for them to make these uh, sacrifices and this of course points us to Jesus who was our sacrifice notice verse 32 and he wrote there upon the stones a copy of the law of Moses which he wrote in the presence of the children of Israel so the next part of the service was they wrote down God's word 
Now, this took commitment to do, uh, to uh, use this plaster and to put this on these stones. It took commitment to write the word of God. Uh, it took great commitment to the word of God to honor his word in such a way. You know, today in our culture, we have such easy access to God's word. We have such convenience to God's word. Even just this morning, I was driving in uh, to church and I got a notification on my watch, the verse of the day, and I could just see it on my watch. There it is. The word of God just kind of pops up right before me. But this took great commitment to write out God's word. Uh, by the way, I think it's good every once in a while, if you're looking for a way to just uh, reinvigorate your devotional life, to write scripture. It's a good thing to do. Uh, I remember several years ago, I was in my parents' house, and I was looking for a book on the bookshelf, and I found this notebook, and I didn't, w- didn't know what it was, and I opened up the notebook, and I just started flipping through it, and it was page after page after page after page of handwritten scripture that my mom was just writing scripture during her devotions, just writing the words uh, of the Lord down. See, in our culture, everything is so easy and accessible, but there ought to be a commitment to God's word. They had a commitment to make these sacrifices, but a commitment to write down the law, but not only writing, then they would read it. Notice verse number 32. Verse 33. It says, And all Israel and their elders and officers and their judges stood on this side of the ark and on that side before the priests, the Levites, which bear the Ark of the Covenant before the Lord, as well as the stranger, as he was born among them, half of them over against Mount Gerizim, and half of them over against uh, uh, Mount Ebal, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded before that they should bless the people of Israel. Now I'm going to explain this in a moment. Verse 34, and afterward he read all the words of the law, the blessings and the cursings, according to all that is written in the book of the law. Now, They have this worship service, I'm going to explain it, but they start reading the blessings and the cursings because that's exactly what Moses prescribed for them to do when they entered into the promised land. So Joshua is just obeying and submitting to uh, God's word. And it says this in Deuteronomy 11, this this will give you a little bit of context. In Deuteronomy 11 verse 29, it says this, and it shall come to pass when the Lord thy God hath brought thee into, in unto the land uh, whither thou goest to possess it, this was the promised land, when you enter into the promised land that God promised you that thou shalt put the blessing upon Mount Gerizim and put the curse upon Mount Ebal. And so this is what was taking place. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to illustrate this way today. Uh, this section over here, uh, you guys are going to represent Mount Ebal. Okay, let's give it up for all the tribes on Mount Ebal. Okay, six tribes will be over here. The only downside is Mount Ebal represents the cursings, but we'll talk about that in a second. That's Mount Ebal. Then over here, you guys are going to represent all the tribes that are in uh, Mount Gerizim. Okay, so let's give it up for these six tribes over here. So you have Mount Abal, you have Mount Gerizim, and then right in the middle, you have Shechem, all right? So you are the people in the valley of Shechem. And what would happen is the Levites would read, you can read the book of Deuteronomy, it actually prescribes and describes how they should do this, and there was a lot of them. They were going to read the cursings over here on Mount Abal. And so they would read the cursings, and then Deuteronomy said, after the cursing was read, they all the people in Shechem and Mount Gerizim, all the people had to say amen. So it's kind of like this. I need some participation today. And so they would read the cursing on Mount Abal, and all the people would say And then over here, they would read the blessing. If they honored God's word, the blessings that would come, they would read the blessing, and then all the people would say And so they did this. I don't know how long it took, but you read Deuteronomy. There was a lot of cursings. There was a lot of blessings. And they were reading this, and they were all saying, amen. Why? They were showing honor to the word of God. They were saying, and as we enter into this promised land, it's not about our strength, our ideas, our wisdom, our plans, our agendas, but we are going to submit to the word of God. Now, the place that they did this is interesting. In between Mount Abal and Mount Gerizim was what? Shechem. Now, Shechem is an interesting place because hundreds of years before, when God promised his promise to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, 
it says this in verse number six. And Abram passed through the land unto the place of Sychem. That was another spelling for Shechem. You in the middle. Unto the plain of Morah. And the Canaanite was then in the land. And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there he built an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. I know, Abraham, it doesn't look like it right now. I know you might not be able to see how this is going to be accomplished, but the place that you're standing in Shechem, I'm going to give you this land. And then you fast forward to the book of Joshua, and here they are, literally standing on the promises of God. Can I tell you today that if God said it, you can trust it. You might not know when his promises will come to fruition, but we know that all the promises of God and Jesus Christ are yes and amen. And if God said it, you can trust it. And so here they are, they're in Shechem, the exact place that God told Abraham, I'm going to give you this land, and now it's theirs. I love the hymn, Standing on the Promises. Are you familiar with it? Standing on the promises that cannot fail. When the howling storms of doubt and fear assail, by the living word of God, I shall prevail. Standing on the promises of God. Here they are in Shechem, looking around, standing on God's promises, the land that he promised them. Notice verse 35. There was not a word of all that Moses commanded, which Joshua read not before all the congregation of Israel with women and with the little ones. So they, they read it all. They applied it all. They did it all. By the way, don't miss this. What Joshua did was he interpreted the word of the Lord literally. Moses said, you need to read it, write it, make sacrifices. So what did Joshua do? Read it, wrote it, and made sacrifices. In other words, he didn't say, well, I think we can just kind of, I think what he meant was, and kind of allegorize it. I think he was just kind of using a metaphor. No, he interpreted it literally, and this is a good biblical practice when you're approaching God's word to take his word literally. And then it says at the end of verse number 35, and the strangers that were conversant among them. And so here were the native people of Shechem and the people that were not Israelites, and they're kind of looking around at this whole scene, this whole worship service. You ever wonder what they were thinking? Like, man, these people are odd. <laughs> like, they're just reading stuff and saying stuff, and, and, uh, and uh, they're, they're observing this whole thing. But can I remind you that your worship will always be a witness and that you never know who's watching you in the battle. You never know who's watching you after the battle. And when we worship, we can use our worship as a witness to those lost and dying souls around us that are observing our lives. Now, as we close today, I want to read one final verse of our text. And at first glance, it's kind of discouraging. And it's a verse that seems cruel, but I want us to see it and I want us to understand it as we close. Verse 29. Notice what it says. And the king of Ai hanged on a tree until eventide. And as soon as the sun was down, Joshua commanded that they should take his carcass down from the tree and cast it at the entering of the gate of the city and raise thereupon, thereon a great heap of stones that remaineth unto this day. And so here we see the king of Ai, this wicked city, and he is hanging on a tree. Now, this was not necessarily the means of his death, but this was a sequel. This is what happened after his death, that often in ancient culture, ancient warfare, when a king was uh, captured or killed, they would hang him on a tree so that all the neighboring nations would see that as a warning. That, that's why the book of Deuteronomy says, cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. And so here is the king of Ai hanging on a tree. 
for his own sins. And of course, this points us to a greater king that hung on a tree for our sins. That there is one true king, his name is Jesus Christ, and he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And Jesus Christ went and he hung on a tree. And he did it for you and for me. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God. And because Jesus died on the cross, because he died, we can live. Because he bled, we can be forgiven. Because Jesus suffered, we can have purpose. Because Jesus went to the cross and because he rose again, we can have a relationship with him and a home in heaven forever. The Bible says in the New Testament in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, For it is written, cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. And today, if you're in the room and you've never had a real relationship with Jesus Christ, I would encourage you, that's what this is all about. Joshua, Yeshua, this name points us to our Yeshua, Jesus. He is our deliverer. He is our warrior. He is our savior. And today, if you don't know him, today can be the day of salvation for you. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. It's only through a relationship with Jesus that you can be saved. And he offers new beginnings. He offers his grace and his mercy so that we can course correct. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes today.